Hi there, my name is Ushin Lunny and welcome to Audio Talks, presented to you by Harmon. In this episode, we're going to discuss the rise of the creator economy, where it might take the music industry, what potential it brings for artists, and how audio companies can support the creator economy by providing the right equipment. From social influencers delivering pro-quality podcasts to musicians building home studios during the lockdown and releasing their music directly to fans, the creator economy is rising fast and it is here to stay. Joining me today to talk about all things creator and economy, I'm honoured to be joined by two very creative experts. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Mulligan, Managing Director and Analyst at Medea Research. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, because who knows when people are going to be listening to this, but thanks for having me. (laughs) Welcome, Mark. Great to have you here. And welcome to the podcast, Katie Templeman-Holmes, the Director of Global Market Strategy at Harman Professional. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and for getting up super early where you are. It's so much appreciated, <laughs> Katie. Okay, let's start at the very, very beginning with your good self, Mark. Now, talk to us a bit about what is the creator economy and how does it relate to the world of music and audio tech? Well, the creator economy is one of those terms which seems to be getting used in many, many different ways. Uh, it's certainly become a buzz term. Uh, there's mm. a huge amount of venture capital investment being thrown into the space and that goes way wider than just music but within the context of audio i think the the fact that we're calling it creator is in itself important because the way Mm. that the music business has traditionally thought about things is performing artists songwriters now often they're the same thing but the more professional you get often you'll end up with dedicated songwriters behind you what we've seen with the growth of the independent music makers is people obviously being singer-songwriters, performer-songwriters, and doing much more than just music, you know, whether that be podcasts, Q&As, whether it be uh, putting together memes, TikTok videos, etc. They've got a much wider creative output. So I think that's why the term creator really matters so much at the moment in, in what is happening to the music business. Mm. And I think it is absolutely a start of a sea change, which is going to, at the very least, create the birth of a parallel music industry, almost like a a counterculture music industry that doesn't play by the same rules that even the independent artists have been playing by for the last few years. Fascinating stuff. And, you know, how big would you say the creator economy is today? What does it look like? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, let me let me start with the size of the the, the numbers in order to make you pay a bit more attention. Great. So there's about half a billion people on the planet who either currently play an instrument or plan to play an instrument. And there are about 55 million who are producing or recording music, about 25 million who are uploading or releasing music online, and then about 5 million who are self-releasing artists using platforms like Muse and TuneCore and CD Baby to get the music straight onto the streaming platforms. Mm. Now, the way that the traditional music business has viewed this space is through that 5 million, because that's a bit that they see. They're the ones that get onto Spotify, etc., And it's an important segment, don't get me wrong, it grew by about a third last year. Revenues now represent 5% of the entire recorded music market, but it's only 1% of that whole half a billion. And even if you just take it down to the 55 million, those are people who are using equipment at home to make their own music. You get a sense of just how much bigger this space uh, already is compared to how people are viewing it and how much bigger it could get. Amazing. 
Wow. And have you seen like, um, you know, new technologies in terms of uh, music production, like for yourself as a music maker, has that kind of facilitated you being able to do stuff more directly to reach uh, the fans of your music more directly? What are some of the technological milestones along the way of this journey? For sure. So I think when you look at technological change, there tends to be a pivot point, a catalyst moment when something that's been building up for a long period of time suddenly accelerates. Mm. And I think we're somewhere close to that tipping point now, because really the technology which people are using to make music in their home studios is an evolution of what's been there for the last 15, 20 years. You know, they're still using digital audio workstations, doors, which to, you know, to produce the music and there's various different effects and virtual instruments in those. What has changed is computing power, processing power has got better. The bandwidth uh, is getting better and accessibility to a whole bunch of online tools is getting better. So really, you can just do more with better versions of the tools which have been around for the last 10 years or so. That is accelerating because of all of the factors I mentioned, but also because there is beginning to be a sea change in the thinking behind the companies who are making the tools for people to make music with. In the past, it was all about sophistication. You know, if you walk into a recording studio, it can be an overwhelming place with all these knobs and dials and sliders, and it can take years and years to be able to master how to work that stuff. But we've got a generation, a couple of generations, Gen Z and the younger end of millennials and coming through now, Gen Alpha, they're the generation who expect to be able to take amazing photos without having to spend two years learning how an aperture setting works. They're yeah. the ones who expect to do amazing videos without having to go into Final Cut Pro to go and do transitions. They expect to go from zero to 100 without having to put in all the years of learning how to do the bits that sit underneath the dials. That is what's happening with music, whether we're talking about sounds platforms like Splice, next generation music software like um, Arcade from Output, Atlas 2. These are things which are, they're not trying to look like the studio. They've, they've mm. not got the old reference point. And the way I'd sort of finally contextualize it is think about the evolution of the car. When Henry Ford created the Model T, it basically looked like a horse and car without a horse. It wasn't until the 1950s cars started to look like something really different. And now with a Tesla, what does a Tesla have in common with a horse and car apart from wheels? And I think we're now just getting towards like the 1950s stage of cars where we're beginning to see things which don't need to look anything like a studio because most of these young producers have never even seen a studio and may never go into one. Wow. So fundamentally, it's all about going to zero to 100 as fast as you can. Amazing. Amazing. There's some food for thought right there, right? Uh, we will come back to that, Mark. Thank you so much. And Katie, come on over to yourself. Now, you've worked in various areas of audio engineering for the best part of 20 years, including 11 brilliant years at Harman and counting. How have you seen the creator economy develop from the audio tech manufacturing and product viewpoint? Yeah, I think I would really uh, just second Mark, actually, and summarize it really as just accessibility. And then, you know, the interpretation of accessibility across all the different areas of production. I mean, when you look at it, say, from an affordability perspective, hmm. you know, it's again, it's just that suddenly there are products that you can access. You don't really need to know or understand much about them. They're ostensibly plug and play. Connectivity has gone down to USB inputs. You don't need to have uh, a big IO unit to be able to get going or even understand what is IO. Yeah. To Mark's point, it was really daunting 
coming from it myself, coming from the studio industry, mm. it's really scary when you first, it's scary even when you understand it, to be honest, <laughs> to fathom doing that when your basis is that you're a creator. Mm. That doesn't mean that you're an engineer at all. So mm. I think just this accessibility and then also the other area I would say is mobility. Because again, you don't have to be in a recording studio. People want to be in their bedroom at their buddy's house, um, in a coffee shop, but you know, wherever you want to be creating, you can do it. You can do it as Mark mentioned, because of the connectivity that we now have, you can do it with uh, Bluetooth. You can do it with headphones that fold up so that they fit in your pocket. Mm. You know, you can do it straight into your phone. There's so many different ways to create at this point. I think you've just really seen, again, that accessibility. And then that's reflected in many different ways uh, throughout physical product. And then I, I would sort of go out as well just to acknowledge the channel, the buying channels, they've expanded. So it would be perhaps you might go to a, a Dixon's or uh, a guitar center to go and buy specifically the pro audio gear that you needed. And now you can buy everything you need from Amazon and it will tell you what you need as well. So I think that's really what it boils down to um, for sort of how that's uh, developed and changed. It's just accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Right. And, you know, of course, you know, working in Harman, you'll have access to certain sales data and you can see trends in terms of what people actually want and, you know, what they're ordering via Amazon or via the Guitar Centre or whatever. What kind of equipment, uh, if any, do you think is more suited to providing the needs of this creator economy? Well, you know, what was interesting about the pandemic is the pandemic gave people time. Mm. And so that gave you time to learn. It's given people time to experiment. And I would say that subsequently, kind of all demographics, again, it's all relative, but all demographics could subsequently produce better content. That then leads to better satisfaction. And then that loops back to how do I get even better? So the trends, again, are all relative. You've got a lot of, call it the entry point, or perhaps somebody who has no interest in technology. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not a professional in their creative field, but they don't have the technical chops, if you like to navigate what might have otherwise been referred to as a professional setup. Mm. So in our sales, we've seen all kinds of levels of equipment are trending. What's interesting that we're noticing now, though, is that quality is a competitive differentiator. Mm. So that's something that people, again, are starting to realize and understand of in now what is a grossly saturated market I forget the statistic, it's something bananas, like 90 billion podcasts available. Oh so it's so nuts. Uh, obviously, this one will stand out at the top of the charts. But <laughs> right answer. <laughs> it's keeping it all in context and everything is relevant. Not everyone is mm. trying to be, you know, somebody, if you like. They just may be sharing. It's a creative outlet for them. Mm. But, you know, definitely we've seen a rise in the use of USB microphones, those have really taken off as a category and very much moving ahead of a traditional wired microphone with an XLR input mm. or output. So I think that's what we've seen. And, and then just generally anything that makes things easier and better, the requirements are typical of any sector. How do I do this better, faster, cheaper, all in one products, uh, bridging a, a few sectors in different form factors, but um, perhaps mic camera combos, camera light combos, mm -hmm. literally just how do we make the experience as easy as possible 
for a creator and at a quality that meets their expectations and their needs. Mm, indeed, indeed. Speaking of USB mics, my trusty AKG Lyra is now my constant companion when I'm traveling because it means I can have a podcast recording studio wherever I am. It's an exactly. absolute lifesaver. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, you mentioned there that people were investigating and, uh, you know, get, getting some more training about how they can be creative during the lockdown. Now, Mark, coming over to yourself, do you see anything in terms of how the pandemic affected how we see ourselves as creators you know did you see that more people are exploring the world of creating music at home during the lockdown yes absolutely i mean i'd mm. follow up on um what kato was talking about we when we talked to to retailers they said the the number one growth category in 2020 was basically anything that could plug into a computer you wow. know whether it's controller keyboards usb keyboards usb microphones etc and i think this really points to what I was referring to earlier on, which is it's the increasing processing power of computers is enabling software companies to be more ambitious and bolder about what they're making, which means that the computer can do more. So the synth sounds that you can get and the reverbs, et cetera, you know, can be every bit as good in many instances as the sort of the hardware that people might, you know, have otherwise had. You know, obviously this leads to sort of big question about what's the future for MIDI now that everything's going to be USB, but that's somebody else's problem to worry about. <laughs> uh, but certainly what happened is people using their computer much more in music creative workflows. So previously... The computer was largely the domain of more electronic music type producers, you know, whether that be dance music, hip hop, etc. But we've certainly seen a rise of technology to get instruments in there, you know, whether that be, you know, an audio converter for uh, an audio interface for guitar and then something using something like Amplitude, etc. to go and get really good amp sounds and, you know, and sound modeling. Mm. Garage band just being a place where, you know, during lockdown, the guitarist would lay something down and then somebody else would, you know, bass player would lay something down and essentially creating tracks remotely from each other. You know, these sort of things were not invisible before, they were there before, but COVID acted as a catalyst. It forced people to go and explore these more. The bit about time, which Kate referred to, I think that's a really important point. So mm. in the attention economy, that is the, the amount of time we spent with entertainment, that had reached saturation before the pandemic. So we basically run out of spare time. The pandemic came along and during 2020, the average amount of time that was spent with all forms of entertainment went up by 14%. So basically, people had a lot more time when they went and either immersed consuming or creating or both. By June of this year, with many people returning back to sort of at least some form of normality, 40% of that time had gone. You know, so that is wow. something which we're going to have to deal with is the, the shift from people having a huge amount of more time on their hands and more cash in their pockets to be able to go and spend that uh, time and money exploring their creativity. Some of that will go away. And that's why we saw about a 20% growth in um, music software and services during 2020, about 5% across hardware. Those rates will be a bit smaller for 21. And over a period of time, it's probably going to be software, which is growing at the expense of things like really high-end synthesizers and multi-channel mixing desks, just because they become less meaningful, less important in the sort of workflows that are emerging around around computers. And the very last thing I say about this as well, was that what I thought was a sort of a, a really good indication that this sector is ready for prime time. Even Kylie Minogue taught herself how to use logic during lockdown. 
as far as stellar endorsements goes, you can't really get any higher than Kylie. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about the rise of audio tech equipment sales, people doing more training, learning how to use the software, including the mighty Kylie Minogue. And many will be dreaming of becoming the next Kylie. Billions of streams, world tours, hit records. Now, Mark, do you think this is realistic? Because it's kind of like the older paradigm of the music industry or what other new models should creators be thinking of? So the answer to this requires a 30-second history of how streaming royalties work. <laughs> okay. uh, so with the exception of ad-supported, which is a minority of revenues, the way that streaming pays out to record labels and publishers and then pay on to the creators is a certain percentage, a fixed percentage of the streaming services revenue gets divided up basically on, on an airplay basis. So let's yeah. say there's 70% of revenue put aside However many streams there were in total, that is one divided by the other gives you per stream rate, and that gets divided up by the number of streams. Mm -hmm. Streaming is not growing at an astronomic rate anymore because it's a very mature marketplace. So let's say that the, <clears throat> the royalty pot is not going to change dramatically over the coming years, mm -hmm. but the number of creators is changing dramatically. So you've essentially got two irresistible forces clashing into each other. One is the finite amount of streaming royalties that are available, and the other is the you know, effectively infinite number of new artists and creators coming into the space. So wow. what you end up with is having to slice a pie into ever smaller slices. And the way that the music industry is typically operated is on a funnel basis. Lots of people come in at the top, and then you basically funnel it down to a smallish number, get signed to a record label, or go onto a distribution platform and then get listened to on streaming services. If you are a really big major label artist and you get a million streams, if you are no longer in debt to your label, and that's only one in 10 artists, but let's say you're one of those lucky 10%, hmm. you will get something like about $1,500 for a million streams. Not many people get to a million dollars. So hmm. you might be able to buy yourself a bit of kit with that, unless, of course, you're a member of a five-piece rock band, then, you know, basically it's a bit of beer money. So yeah. more and more creators are waking up that that actually is not, really even worth the effort, you know, having to mm. run them the hamster wheel of putting up five posts a day on Instagram and trying to get yourself on all these playlists and putting out a song every every month to make sure you're keeping your audience. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that that funnel is actually beginning to get sliced. So different segments of it are ends in their own right. If you are making tunes and you've got a whole load of beats and you're pretty good at making beats and you go and put them on beat stars or put it onto Splice, you will almost certainly earn far more money from that than you will ever earn from streaming. If you're on BandLab, where you're making music and your community is exactly there without having to go off to a distributor and then go onto Spotify, or if you're on YouTube, where you can actually build a fan base rather than an audience, there's lots and lots of other places where people can make money from the creativity. The way I like to think about it is if you're in L.A., and you can just about guarantee whoever it is is waiting your table is an aspiring actor. Well, this is the equivalent of it for music creators, except they don't have to be waiting tables. They're just mm. doing creative stuff in different ways. They've got different outlets for it. You could be on Sound Better or Fiverr selling your skills as a top liner for writing lyrics, or you could be uh, selling your skills as a mixer and master. I think mm. this is one of the reasons why this much overused term, the creator economy, is A, beginning to come into its own, but also I think needs a really big revision point. And this is, without trying to sound too sort of um, soapboxish here, but I think there is a duty of care 
that the creator economy owes to its creators. Because yes. fundamentally, the way that they're seen by most platforms at the moment is wheat in a field that can be harvested. What they actually need to be looked at is beautiful flowers in a flower bed that need to be allowed to, you know, allowed to blossom, whether that's a tiny little flower or a huge rose bush. Everybody should have the ability to achieve their maximum without being sold dreams of saying your maximum is a billion streams. Somebody's yeah. maximum might be selling 20 beats a week on Splice or whatever it might be. So I think that's the way I'd sum it up, which is the music business is based around streaming. Streaming works great if you're a record label, Great of your publisher, great of your superstar. For virtually everyone else, it does not. And that's why I think we've seen so much interest in things like NFTs and Twitch sessions and TikTok, because these are alternative ways that creators can try to earn an income in a way that works for them rather than works for really big entities. Right. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Mark. And you know, talk to us a bit about the opportunities in terms of the ecosystem around the creator economy, because it sounds like this is ready to kick into another gear as well. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that will result in the step change is, as always, money. So the mm. the growth in the music business in a wider sense has obviously brought lots of really big institutional investors buying up the stock of universal music or um, investing in song catalogues. Mm. And there's, there's only so many places you can put your money. So some investors have been saying, how can we be part of this growth without having to overpay to get in there? And mm. they identified the creator tool space as being this great opportunity to get into what is an undervalued uh, and often under-recognized sector. So you've got companies like um, uh, Francisco Partners going and buying a majority of uh, native instruments and isotope. And you know, you've got all of oh. this big money coming in to say, we know that this is a market that is going to change. We want to fundamentally drive that change and accelerate the marketplace. So that, I think, is going to be an absolute driver. But for me, the most interesting bit is the newer companies who have not been around for 10 or 15 years, the ones who are starting just like a Gen Z music maker without thinking about the studio with its big desk of dials and sliders, but instead thinking about okay, how does Instagram work? How does TikTok work? Having something that looks nice and cool on a phone that you slide around, there's this brilliant music-making app called Atlas 2. And if you look at that thing, it doesn't look anything like a studio. Maybe it looks a bit like a mobile game. And if you think about if you've got interfaces which people are using to make music that don't look anything like what people have been making music on for the last 20, 30 years, Mm. then I think that could be really exciting because I think that could be completely new types of music being made. And the last bit on this is if you've got people going from zero to 100 really fast, so they're making really good quality sounds maybe after six or 12 months instead of five years, imagine where they'll get to in five years' time. Imagine how much better they might get. And they've got all of these new tools to create new workflows that might result in new sounds. You know, maybe the music business is finally going to get what it's needed for the past 30 years or so, which is a new music genre. Wild. My goodness. Okay, well, I'll be watching this space with such intense interest. It sounds it's all about to kick off. And um, speaking of which, coming over to yourself, Katie, now we've heard about this revolutionary sea change that's going to happen in terms of the creator economy. How do you think music production technology and audio technology might evolve to meet the needs of this rising creator economy? Um, I think it's sort of much about what Mark was just speaking to of mm -hmm. where there's an opportunity here to move away from what we might have 
typically or traditionally expected in terms of interfaces and workflows, physical hardware even, or basically like what it looks like. You know, there's always been a way of doing things. And I think with each generation and as each one of these non-traditional platforms continues to grow, I think there's an opportunity here just to move away from the expected, which certainly as a manufacturer is quite exciting. Just even seeing things like mixing consoles, you don't have to have a mixing console now. You There's some form of physical I.O., which might be so simple as USB input and outputs or just mini jacks and, you know, just very recognizable connections to most people. But the mixing console going into an application, you know, it's just an app. And I I can remember working for a a console manufacturer, maybe, maybe it was 10, 15 years ago. I forget, I guess about 15 years ago. Mm. Um, And I can remember having a discussion and I was sitting in a very famous studio in Hollywood and, you know, we're all just sitting at the end of the day, boots up on the console saying how ridiculous it is that there would ever be a mixing console on glass because it's a tactile experience to mix. (laughs) And then here we are doing it with a mouse, doing it on touch screens. I learned to edit by watching. I could see the music much easier than I could hear it, Mm. you know, and that was me of a generation, you know, I don't know which one I fall into, but uh, I'm not going to age myself here, but I'm going back like, again, about 20 years when I was actually in recording studios. So I think it's fascinating about, again, how the form factor can change, how um, the skin of it can all change. Um, But it's definitely all around simplicity, simplicity, and then also quality. I think the other move that is available here is really that high fidelity and immersive formats and Mm -hmm. immersive is a really exciting space and it's a bit misunderstood but if we focus on the outcome of it instead of how it's engineered which is where everybody gets in a bit of a muddle it's really about just creating a better yet experience it's about great sound Mm -hmm. and that will have an impact on production equipment right it will have an impact and is already on mics, transport, file sharing, creation software, mix outputs, DSP, loud. Like it kind of touches so many points of the production and consumption chain, some much more intrusively than others. Some are intrinsically being changed and others it's just like about how many of something I'm using or what the pattern is, the pickup pattern on a microphone, et cetera. Like, again, it's a varied space, but again, what it really boils down to is continuing to invest in and appreciate great sound. We're Mm. just people that hasn't gone away. Yeah, indeed. As you were talking there, I was thinking of a previous podcast episode we had there, your colleague Sean Barton on, and he was talking about that Harman Kardon Radiance 2400, which looks like it it comes from outer space. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's It's cool. It's it's so awesome. It's like a massive line array from a stadium, but kind of made into this very slim pillar of phenomenal audio tech. And it's like nothing you'd expect to see, but it's just beautiful and it works incredibly. So yeah, I think the form factor is going to be so exciting moving forward you know, yep. thanks to amazing technicians like your good selves. So Mark, coming back to yourself now, earlier on, you spoke about where 
the creator economy is now and all these different tranches of the music industry and what we think of the traditional music industry being here, et cetera. Where do you think this could all go in terms of, you know, what portion of the global music business could the creator economy occupy? How big could this get? Well, let's talk about why we have the music business we have today, which is predominantly focused around streaming. That is because it has been a business model that has been strapped onto user behavior that started with Napster back at the turn of the millennium. So it basically took the music industry 15 years to work out a business model, but it's still fundamentally a business model trying to jump onto behavior that happened. Mm. Now, it was user-led behavior and supply-led business model, which was a missing part in deciding how it's all going to happen. The creators Mm. themselves It was not designed, this system was not designed with the creators in mind. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that got left behind and people are beginning to wake up to now is the relationship between the the artist and the fan. That has really been put on the back burner. So like I was saying earlier on, if you are an artist on, say, Spotify, and all the streaming services are the same, so I'm not labelling out Spotify for any other reason than it is synonymous with streaming yeah. and is the leading player, of course, then you are building an audience, you're not building a fan base. You have no way to talk directly to that fan base and you're entirely dependent upon the platform. Go back maybe seven or eight years ago, artists had Facebook pages, etc., and you know they've become essentially very commodified and they're just a place you sell stuff to. A little while there was Tumblr, which was sort of an authentic place people could talk but never really got big enough. And then Instagram, you know, is post-Firefest of the world is just a place where there's, you know, picture-perfect images of everybody. So there's no authentic place where the artists and the fans can be together. TikTok mm. is sort of working that way, but it only works for some particular type of, of creator. So I think this next change is going to be places, platforms, apps, whatever they might be, that enable creators and their fans to build a relationship. And once you get there, you have creator-to-creator relationships, um, fan-to-creator relationships, creator-to-fan relationships, and you end up with this multi-directional set of relationships where a whole bunch of stuff is really possible. Imagine if, so the... um, the Board Ape Yacht Club, which has just had Timberlands, you know, sort of try, building an act around some of them and Universal Music diving in. Well, imagine what you could do there if it's, a, you know, this creator-led thing. Let's say you have an NFT of something that one of the apes is doing, and that is sold only to fans of the band, and 10 fans can go and buy it. And then those 10 fans can then go and make their own merch, which they can sell to all of the other fans with a percentage of the proceeds going down the chain back to the original creator. You start thinking about ways which just don't and can't exist in the unidirectional nature of the music business at the moment, which is release, push it to the consumer, consumer listens, full stop, Mm. rinse, repeat. And I think that is going to be, you know, the, the, regardless of how big all these markets could get, and we, you know, media, you know, we love our numbers and we've got numbers about how big we think the market is going to get. But I think it's the cultural shift, which is going to be the most important bit where yes. Okay. It's definitely a sort of a Gen Z dream. Everybody can be a creator and there, you know, there are going to be some uh, aspirations which are going to fall very short of reality, but more of us are going to create. And, you know, that have seen one, one sort of scenario of the future that every one of us will have a subscription. It might be our friends subscribing to our feed. It might be our family subscribing to our photos or whatever it might be. But I do think we're moving into this world where it's less about push to audience 
and much more about this virtuous circle of creation and engagement. And that, I think, is going to change the very nature of creation and culture. Wow, wow, wow. Fantastic. That's actually a much better answer to the, the than the question that I asked you. That's amazing. Okay. And, and Katie, coming over to yourself, you know, from your point of view, in terms of the amount of equipment that people want to embrace and, you know, how creative they want to be and how much they want to embrace a creator economy, where do you see this all going from your perspective? You know, it's kind of a massive question that um, I, I would say has could have such a dynamic answer. Sure, I mean, absolutely. so much of what Mark just mentioned, you know, to me, I, I sort of recognize what's going on as it's almost in manner of a self-fulfilling prophecy, wow. right? So it's very, uh, this is very cyclical what's going on. And, you know, from an equipment perspective, we're just going along with everybody else. We're not the driver. The driver here is uh, people learning. It's about expression. It's mm. about popularity and fame. Um, it's about inspiration. It's about consumption. It's, a, you know, and then it starts to go from the manufacturing side of things for, you know, where can the equipment sales go, et cetera. Mm. Uh, as I've mentioned, it's about improved quality. It's about simplicity. What I think is really interesting, and I, I think Mark is kind of, alluded to this as a thread through all of his responses is the technology that allows you to create, but also the technology that allows you to share and distribute. It's that relationship that I think is so dynamic right now. And I feel like that's the lead of what happens next. And that's really what's determining, you know, how big this market is going to be. Um, Again, Mark, Mark touched on it. We sh- you know what? We should have just interviewed Mark. He's very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I, I, I much enjoyed it. I was like, oh, yes, Mark. I, I should have got a cup of tea and listened in more. But the perfect compliment. Yeah. It's, you <laughs> know, you. It just, just speaking, you know, about sort of the increased capital injection, mm. um, the NFT technology, you know, the fact that as a consumer, we can buy and invest in songs. That's like, it's brilliant, but it's bonkers. <laughs> Like what happened, you know, but I think that's so exciting. And again, that's why I say that, you know, asking sort of where do we think all of this is going to go? I just think it's an enormous question that I don't know anybody could really answer. Because again, I think we're in such a remarkably exciting and dynamic time. All I think you can be assured of is it's going to keep going. People do not lose their interest in expression People do not lose their interest in popularity and fame, again, in whatever context, whatever that might mean. Mm -hmm. And we don't stop being inspired. There's definitely been a big bubble that the pandemic induced and now is sort of slowly deflating. But again, the fundamentals there, they they don't go away. You know, creators are creators. And what's wonderful in technology is now we have the equipment and the platforms uh, and the infrastructure that does more or less allow you know anybody to uh, to produce and express themselves, which is is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. And uh, speaking of expressing yourselves, I have one final question for both of you, and we're going to start with yourself, Mark. Um, I'm going to invite each of you to choose a creative track, which can be one of your own, for our VIP Audio Talks title playlist. So, Mark, what is your addition to our title playlist? Oh my goodness, you're throwing me now. I'm going to have to be completely egotistical and go for one of my own. So, Now and Forever by Vapor Drill. Oh, fantastic. Okay, look forward to checking that out on Tidal. And Katie, how about yourself? Um, What's your addition to our VIP Tidal playlist? 
Oh, gosh, this is a dangerous question. I could accidentally <laughs> expose so much in this answer. Uh, so I'll, I'll go timeless. Uh, I'll go with Shaggy and Sting uh, with Don't Make Me Wait. That's a great song. Very nice. Smoothly done. Smoothly done. You avoided some controversy right there. That's excellent. And uh, I myself, who am going to show my age in that I used to line up tape machines using uh, tones at a recording studio back <laughs> in the early 90s. Um, I'm choosing a righteous slab of original boom bap hip hop from the golden age, which is The Creator by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. So there you have it, folks. We can look forward to quality, simplicity and no more rinse and repeat from the music biz because we're on the cusp of of a creative revolution and you are all invited. Thank you so much for joining us on Audio Talks presented by Harmon. Mark Mulligan. Thank you very much. And Katie Templeman-Holmes. Thank you so very much. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment, review and share with your friends and family. Audio Talks will be back in the new year with some very special guests from a very special location. I'll see you next time. <laughs>